Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Now first, before we get started, I want to apologize to everyone. I was supposed to have released a couple of episodes the past two weeks, but a couple things happened that pretty much made that impossible. And I'm going to touch on that here in a bit. But first of all, I want to let everyone know that this episode is also not what I had planned. I intended to do the Back to School special, but... As I started digging through all the submissions I got, I realized that that's going to be nearly a two-hour episode, and I frankly don't have time to get that written, produced, and out to you guys by the end of tomorrow, which is the date that I promised I'd have the next episode up. So as you can see, I'm a bit behind and in a bit of a pickle. So what I'm going to do here tonight is, again, something a little strange. I'm going to do a live show. No script. All I have are a couple notes that I've jotted down, and hopefully we'll see how this goes. Now before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, allow me to explain why there hasn't been an episode for the past two weeks. As many of you know that follow the show on social media, I spent the last three weeks back in Ohio. Sarah and I, my fiancé, were visiting family and we had a couple weddings to attend. But let me tell you, life in Ohio is difficult. Her family lives in Cleveland, and mine lives some two hours away in southeast Ohio. So there was a ton of driving back and forth. A couple hours up here, a couple hours down here, dropping people off, picking up things. And between you and me, I just didn't have time to put the episodes together. And I chose family over the show. And hopefully you guys can understand that. But that's not even the biggest reason why there was no show. And let me tell you this quick story. So Sarah and I had a free day, and when I say free day, we had from like 11 to 4 or something like that, but we decided we were going to go to Point Pleasant, West Virginia to shoot some footage for the Patreon episodes, you know, focusing on the Mothman and the Men in Black and Woody Durenberger and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So on Tuesday, around 9 o'clock in the morning, we made our way down to Point Pleasant, and we just reached around the Parkersburg, West Virginia area, and my five-year-old vehicle decided it was done driving. We pulled off to the side of the road, called for a tow truck, which took nearly four hours to arrive, and (laughs) we found out once we got back to the dealership that the engine had completely seized. Now again, a five-year-old vehicle with regular oil changes. So we get the vehicle back to the Kia dealership, and I should add that this is a 2013 Kia Sportage, and they tell me that there's all kinds of recalls out on these vehicles for this specific reason, engine failure. So I have high hopes that this can get fixed, because quite frankly, between you and me, 
the warranty is expired. So they do some research and they come back and tell me that most Kia Sportages in that year have been recalled. But mine, despite the fact that what happened to my vehicle is what happened to all the other recalled vehicles, was not included. So I spent the following two weeks on the phone with different Kia representatives, different mechanics, and even lawyers trying to get this situation taken care of. At the end of the day, Kia basically told me that I'm on my own, despite the fact that the issues with my vehicle are exactly the same as with other Theta 2 engines, which is what is included in my vehicle. So as of right now, my vehicle's back in Ohio. I'm here in California. The lawyer is working on a class action suit against Kia, representing not only me, but thousands of others that have had this exact same issue. So before I move on, I want to warn each and every one of you out there, if you own a Kia, I highly recommend you get rid of it. Not only is the vehicle unsafe and we were lucky to get to the side of the road, but their customer service is downright abysmal. The last thing I want is for someone else to go through the situation that I'm currently going through. So at the very least, have your vehicle inspected today. So on to a brighter note, I finally did make it down to Point Pleasant a week later. I spent the afternoon visiting local hotspots, the museum, the statue, kind of checked out the TNT area, and I recorded every bit of it. So once I get unpacked from my trip, I'm going to put together that video footage and have it up on the Patreon page, hopefully by the end of next week. So look forward to that. Okay, all that crap out of the way. Let's get to the show. Our first call of the evening comes to us from a familiar voice. The following call comes to us from Mickey in Oregon. Hi, this is Mickey from Springfield, Oregon. I called in with the um, Bigfoot bashing my semi-truck story before. This is completely different. I wasn't going to call this one in, but... uh, it's been on my mind lately, and also I have listened to uh, Season 1, Episode 10, Hannah, with uh, a similar story, so I decided to call it in. When I was about 13, uh, there was a home in my neighborhood that had a trampoline in the backyard. I never met the owner of the house, but apparently they didn't mind if we jumped on his trampoline. And uh, it wasn't the kind of trampoline they have these days. It was a, he had dug a pit in the ground and built a frame around the pit and the trampoline was at ground level. But it did have a a two by eight uh, frame around it with springs, you know, screwed into it. And um, anyway, he kept it nice and the pit underneath sometimes would collect water so he dug a ditch a deep ditch it's about four feet deep but probably about two to three feet wide maybe maybe three feet wide um to the creek which was about 25 feet away maybe and um to drain it out to drain out the pit so one day on a saturday none of my friends could play and so i just went by myself to the trampoline and I had been practicing doing a triple front flip. And in order to do that, I had to get really high. So I, I jumped 
very, very high and started my triple front flip. And when I came around the second time, I realized that I was over the corner of the two by eight frame and I was going to hit it with my head when I came back around. So as soon as I realized that, the second I realized it, I felt a jerk, a strong jerk in my midsection. And at the same time, I blocked out and I never hit um, that I know of, uh, didn't hit the ground. I don't know what happened. Um, okay, so I had, I had started jumping around four, probably 4 p.m. And I jumped for 15 minutes, maybe. And um, I came to uh, almost at the creek in the ditch, and I was cradled with my back against one side of the ditch and my legs against the other side. So I was like, my butt was down in the bottom of the ditch. And I was a good 20 feet from the trampoline. And I don't know what happened. Uh, honestly, I, I checked myself all over. I was not injured at all. There was not a mark on me. Um, but when I got home, it was almost six o'clock. So I had a good hour and a half, maybe an hour and 45 minutes of missing time. And, um, to this day, I, I can't figure out what happened and it bothers me, but it was weird because I, I know that I blacked out before I hit, before I came down. I mean, I was in midair. I felt the jerk and then I blacked out and I, I know that's what happened, but I don't know what happened after that. And it was really weird and it's bothered me to this day. Anyway, I thought I would share that. So, um, I love the podcast. Um, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Mickey. Now I wonder if adrenaline simply kicked in, causing Mickey to move in a manner that not only pulled her to safety, but also put a strain on her midsection. Now, of course, that certainly does not explain the missing time that she described. Unless, of course, she was unconscious for longer than she thought. This also reminds me of a story that was told during the town hall meeting that I hosted at Crypticon this past weekend. Andrea told a short story about a time that she got off the bus in the wrong housing development. Once she'd realized she was in the wrong place, the bus was long out of sight. Now, she was around seven or eight at the time, so she had no idea what to do. She decided to walk toward the closest house and ask them for help. But before she could reach the front door, an invisible force turned and pushed her toward a house in the opposite direction. Now, once inside that house, the lady that owned the place recognized her from a televised church program she'd seen on television not too long before. She managed to call her parents and get her picked up. There's just something about these kind of stories that makes it seem like there's some sort of invisible protector helping at least a few of us. Thank you again, Mickey, for taking the time to share that call. Now, speaking of CryptidCon, i got to tell you guys about this event. First of all, I had my very first public speaking event, and I have to say it went pretty well. I was pretty nervous, to be quite honest with everyone, but the nerves died down once the story started flowing. So I want to thank everyone that not only shared stories during the event, but also attended. It meant a lot to see that room 
filled up. Now, as for the rest of the event, I got to meet some incredible people. I shook hands and got an autograph from Travis Walton, which was a highlight of my weekend and <laughs> kind of my life. I had a long, lengthy conversation with Linda Godfrey. She is such a nice lady. Anybody has the chance, I highly recommend you talk her ear off. I know I did. And there's countless others that I won't list, but there was so much to do there. Now, I'm pretty sure that Jeff, Jennifer, and Lee plan on doing the event again next year. So I highly, highly suggest you guys mark that in your calendars. It was an incredible time. Okay, moving on here. Our next call comes from another familiar voice. The following is Isaac's call from Florida. Hi, Derek. My name is Isaac. I live in Florida. Um, I have a very long history of paranormal experiences. Basically, I grew up with all kinds of crazy things going on. I've, I've been listening for a long time. I've never actually called, um, so I thought you know, the time was right now because I'm going to be documenting all this stuff in a book I'm writing. But um, my first experience was when I was just a little boy. I would have been around eight years old. And... Like I said, I grew up in in central Florida, in rural areas, and um, we lived in a single-wide trailer, and my room was in the back of the trailer, and I had my room there, and then there was the bathroom that I would keep the light on as like a nightlight, and my dad would let me keep it on, Um, and I had bunk beds, so I'm, I'm in my top bunk. And I just got, I just, yeah, I was just put to bed. It was like nine, ten o'clock, and it was a school night, so I went to bed early. So I'm laying there, looking around the room, just trying to go to sleep. And right where the doorway is to my bedroom, I had a little shelf, like a little bookcase, but it was made out of metal. It was one of those little metal bookcases, and I had all my action figures on it. And I was a big fan of He-Man, and um. I had all my He-Man figures lined up, like posed, you know. There was this one particular toy where when you push the switch up on his back, the eyes came out on stems. I forget the name of that character, but um, he looked like a bug, kind of, and he had these eyes that came out of his head on stems. Well, I was laying there, like I said, just looking around, and I looked toward the doorway, and I'm looking at my toys, and this one started to move it turned its head toward me the eyes came out on the stems and then it walked across the shelf to it walked from left to right um and then it stopped looked at me again the eyes came out on the stems two more times like real quick they popped out and came in and popped out again like someone was moving the switch on the back uh, that was my first encounter with what I would call the demonic. Um, my mother was and is a Pentecostal minister, and she engages in spiritual warfare all the time. My belief is that Satan was targeting me as a way of fighting her. So my childhood was full of these kind of things, and I'm going to call you and tell you all the stories, but this was where it began. Anyway, I leapt down out of my bed, terrified. Um, as soon as I hit the ground, um, my dad came running down the hallway, and my little sister came down the hallway. 
she would have been about two or three. And I just grabbed that toy and I tried to give it to Vicky, my sister. I was like, you can have it. You can have this. I don't want this anymore. And I was so terrified and just scared that I didn't know what to do. And, you know, my, I told my dad what happened and, you know, he chopped it up to just the kid's imagination. Um, and, you know, he comforted me and put me back to bed and everything and I went to sleep. But, um, you know, he's always, always told me it was just my imagination. It was just in my head, but I know what I saw and I can re, I can relive it in my mind today. Like, you know, like it just happened. It was so vivid, but anyway, that was my first experience. And, um, I just wanted to share that with you and I'll be calling back and telling you about other things that have happened in my life. It's, it's been kind of crazy. So thanks for the show. I think you're awesome. I listen all the time and, um, I appreciate what you do. Thank you, Isaac. I have several stories from Isaac I'm going to be playing over the next year or so, so it's awfully nice to know the origin of these stories. Now, it's funny, the figure that he's discussing is a figure that I also owned and cannot remember the name of. Something tells me his name was Ai, which is a small primate that looks somewhat similar to that, but he's hair-covered. Uh, but I'm not even sure that that's accurate. What this story does remind me of is a listener submission on the show Bizarre States. I believe this aired on the latest regular episode, perhaps the one before that. In that story, the listener described seeing her Cabbage Patch doll not only walking, but eating an entire sandwich. She chalked it up to a dream until she woke up the next morning to find the kitchen light on and crumbs on the floor. I highly suggest you check that show out. It's pretty entertaining. Thank you again, Isaac, for sharing that tale. Next up, we head north to the state of New Jersey. The following is Keith's story. Hey, Derek, it's Keith in New Jersey calling in again. Uh, I have an additional two little anecdotal stories for you. These are not crazy stories, but they're just strange enough that I'll that can make uh, anybody think a little deeper. Uh, The first took place in 1985, so I was about seven years old. Uh, This took place in a northern New Jersey town. Uh, I wasn't in the room when this happened. My father was, along with other relatives. Uh, My paternal grandfather had been diagnosed with lung cancer, and he had one lung removed, and it was pretty much terminal at that point. Uh, so he was in a hospital for a while, and then when it was decided that there was nothing else they could do in the hospital, he was brought home. Uh, they had a hospital bed moved into the living room, uh, where obviously he, he was lying pretty much uh, in a subconscious state. He was on heavy medication, heavy pain medication. So yeah, it, it was an unfortunate, a sad time. He pretty much just came home to die, you know, like I said, it was a very sad time for the family. So he was lying in my grandparents' room and the situation was irreversible. So after he's brought home, we had, the family had a hospice nurse visiting a couple times a day and a regular nurse visiting, which changed the IV uh, every day or so, or every couple times every day. Uh, I remember seeing him for the last time. He was completely unresponsive, hooked up to the IV. He wasn't conscious enough to eat or drink. So one night, my parents were at the house with, or I think, I'm sorry, it was just my father at the house with his sister, his aunt, and his uncle. 
I was home. My brother and I were home with my mother. They were all together in the house keeping a sort of vigil over my grandfather who was expected to pass away at any time. Then all of a sudden, my grandfather sat up in bed and stared at the group. Now, this is after uh, a couple of days of, of him being pretty much unconscious, unresponsive. So he sits up in his hospital bed, which is in the TV room, and my father said he was, he appeared as lucid as could be. And when he saw everyone sitting in the room, he said, what's everyone doing here? Not really knowing how to respond, my father replied, oh, we're here playing canasta. And for those who don't know what canasta is, it's a card game that pretty much no one plays anymore, but it used to be popular, uh, you know, back in the 80s and before that. So my grandfather says, oh, seemingly accepting of the answer. And then what he said next was the interesting part. He went on and said, a bus just came for me. The driver said the bus was full, so he had to drop off the other passengers before he came back to pick me up. And as soon as he said that, he lay back down and fell into the subconscious state that he had been in for the past couple of days. Then 20 minutes later, my father noticed that he had stopped breathing and he had passed on. And I remember I was pretty young at this stage, but when I heard my father tell the story to my mother, even though it was a very sad day that my grandfather had passed away, it, it, I kind of took a little bit of comfort in hearing that story because in my mind, as a child, and even today as adult, as an adult, it made it seem like he was taken away to an, another place, possibly to a better place. So that's the first little story about my, my grandfather. And there's a related story that took place just a couple months later. I'm not sure exactly how long later. It had to have been in the same year, so probably around sometime in 1986 in the same uh, medium-sized New Jersey town, northern New Jersey town. Uh, so my, a few months my, after my grandfather passed away, my family was visiting my grandmother, who still lived in the same house. And I remember we had left to drive home just after nightfall. And to get home, we had to drive through a busy main street to the center of town. So we're driving along and stopping frequently because there's a number of traffic lights on this particular route. And as our car was stopped that one, I heard my mother say to my father, very surprised, oh my goodness, he looks just like your father in the window over there. And she pointed to the window of a barber shop on the side of the street. My father, my brother, and myself, we, we craned our necks to look in the barber shop. And even though it was, it was, it wasn't far, maybe 20, 25 feet away, uh, and it was nighttime, so it was easy into the into the lit lit barbershop. It was very vivid and clear. And inside, standing at the window looking out, was a man who was a dead ringer from the grandfather. The same height, had identical facial facial features, the same hair, and the same thick rimmed glasses that he always wore. However, what jumped out the most was the jacket he was wearing. It didn't look like just any jacket, but the exact one which my grandfather loved to wear. And it was a pretty distinct jacket. It was a light tan, suede-like one with woolen, sheep-like trim along both sides of the zipper and along the collar. And I just remember as long as I was, you know, I, I was probably about eight years old at the time, as long as I can remember, he always wore this jacket in the fall, in the winter, in the early spring. It was a very, very distinct jacket to me. And it was the... It, looked like the exact same jacket 
So he, this man was just staring at the large window, which basically took up the entire front wall of the barbershop, staring right out into the street. So after my mom said to look, my father said, wow, it does. Uh, but if he was any more amazed than that, I'm not sure because he never brought it up again, at least in my presence. So after a couple of seconds, the light turned green and our car propelled, for, propelled forward with the man in the window still looking straight ahead. And to make it even a little bit more interesting, the next time I saw my grandmother, I told her that we had seen someone in the window of the barbershop on that, on that street who looked just like Grandpa. And since she hadn't witnessed it, she couldn't make a big deal about it, but she did say that that was the barbershop he had always gone to for a haircut. So I'm not sure who the man in the window was, but it's still something I think about to this day over 30 years later. So those are my... That's those are my two little stories about my grandfather that I think are a little bit, little bit weird, and I still think about it all the time. Uh, keep up the great work with the podcast, and I'll call in again later with another story. Thanks. Thank you, Keith. Now, I'm not a scientist or a brain surgeon, but I do know that when the brain dies, all kinds of neurons and nerves are firing. So it's at least possible that he was simply having a hallucination or recalling a memory that took place years ago. But I will say it is very coincidental that the memory he had was of a bus picking him up. It just, uh, I, I think I like your version of the story much better than, than the quote-unquote logical explanation. Now, as for the, the second part of the story where you saw a man that looked identical to your grandfather in the window, as a person who's currently uh, going through a loss... I can tell you that my brain plays tricks on me constantly. I will see somebody that looks like my deceased brother, and I can feel my heart rate change. Um, it's just, you know, little things, like he'll have the same hands or a similar haircut or something like that, will instantly uh, flood memories back to my brain. And uh, in many cases, I'll dismiss other parts of his, uh, of that person's description to make the correlation work. It's it's sort of like pareidolia a bit. Um, it, it, this Again, this is a theory. This isn't, I'm not a scientist. But uh, perhaps that's something that, that your family encountered. But the fact that, but the fact that your entire family witnessed this guy, that offers a good bit of credibility to the story. Either way, Keith, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks again. Now, before we move on to the final call of the evening, I want to mention a documentary that you guys should probably go check out. I had the fortune of having a table across the hallway from Small Town Monsters' Seth Breedlove, and he gave me an advanced copy of The Bray Road Beast, his newest documentary that features not only the Dogman of Wisconsin, but specifically the Beast of Bray Road. I gotta tell you, you guys should go check this thing out today. I won't spoil one bit of it, but I will tell you that I thoroughly enjoyed this documentary. So head over to smalltownmonsters.com and get your copy today. Or with a little luck, it may be included in a future cryptic crate. And by the way, Seth didn't pay me a dime to say any of this. I just enjoyed the film that much. Now, one more announcement, and I won't bore you guys with anything else. If you guys are looking for a true crime-style podcast... I have just a thing for you. Barney and Tara, 
from down under. Sorry, I had to do that. Barney and Tara from Australia have a wonderful podcast called Bloody Murder. And when I say wonderful, it's wonderfully creepy. But take their word for it. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saravan. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a weekly true crime podcast that focuses on some of the lesser-known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. We're a comedy podcast with a dark sense of humour. But we're dead serious about murder and the people it affects. We find humour in some unexpected places. But never at the expense of the victims or their families. We've been described as the blue cheese of podcasting. Addictive, strong and satisfying. And a bit stinky. I am not. You know you are. Bloody Murder. Murder is available on your favorite podcatcher. So make Monsters Among Us look good and check them out today. You won't regret it. Now for that final story that I promised you guys. Ah, this is a little bit different. For the first time ever, we're going to hear a story that we've already heard, but from a different angle. The following story is Jen's version of the Invisible Man story that took place on the last regular episode, Season 6, Episode 3. The following is Jen's call from Washington. Hi, my name is Jen. I was calling in because my husband, Justin, and I, we were traveling towards Idaho to go to Silverwood, um, other than small gatherings in Coeur d'Alene when I was a small child, I'd never been to Idaho or done anything in that area. I was very unfamiliar with the area. It was extraordinarily hot, 4th of July weekend, had our three children with us. And we're traveling to try to find a place to stay. We wanted to find free camping. And I don't know exactly how it felt like we got so lost off the trail, came through um, these long paths and stuff and uh, roads and came to this lodge and the lodge was just weird it I can't even explain to you like for it looked like some cute little country place just kind of like an old western kind of situation just in the middle of the woods and you walk into it and it felt like some weird Stephen King movie where all the people I'm you know entering into this building into like they all like I've known them from somewhere or there's some type of significance to them. But there's this one man that is across the, the counter in the bar that when you walk in, I, I went in to get our daughter milk because it was so hot. The milk that we had for her in the car, it, it was not safe to give. So I go in there to ask if we can get milk for her sippy cup. And I just noticed this one guy just keeps looking at me and staring at me. And I see the Seattle Mariners, um, umbrella in the corner by a newspaper and I don't know why but I keep looking at it here throughout the entire time that I'm waiting for this milk and we're from um we were from the Seattle area at that time we'd driven out from Mount Lake Terrace in Washington state and um it was just weird the people everything took so long and I couldn't figure out for the life of me um what the significance of was these people that just were just staring at me. And as we came into the lodge, there was lots of people outside, like in a picnic area, and they were all just kind of having a picnic or a party or something. It wasn't huge, but there was a good amount of people, at least 20, 30 people out there. Didn't really take much notice of the fact that I guess when I when they came out, I noticed that they all had guns holstered on the sides and whatnot. But 
being in the lodge, it seemed to just take for absolute ever. Paid four dollars for the sippy cup of milk. Talked to a gentleman. It felt like he asked me my or knew my whole life story. That's how long I was there. And by the time I came out, the kids and my husband were tired and in the sun. And a lot of people, all those people that had come from the picnic area, they had come up towards the lodge to the entrance where I was. So I went from being nobody there to coming out to all these people with guns and saying, hey and just acting strange, like no one wanted to talk. It was like all body language, and everybody was kind of like approaching slowly, like some weird zombie movie. They just weren't zombies. And I was very happy to get back in the truck, and as soon as I did, my husband Justin pointed out, did you notice how many of them were all carrying guns? And I guess they'll find out later, I guess that gun law had been passed in their state or whatever, so they were pretty happy to have open gun law or whatever. So I, but it was just so weird. And then we're like, okay, we just, we got to figure out our camping spot. We got to find a store so we don't have to pay, you know, a a lodge $4 for milk because our daughter's going to need it again soon. It was so hot. The kids were complaining. I don't really know how much further we traveled. It felt like forever, I would say miles and miles. The roads became thinner and there were some really great places that he even him and I both wish that we would have taken pictures of. I mean, the road just seemed so thin, and on one side, huge dips and trees and everything, and it was just really neat. But as we went further and further down the road, he says, oh, there's like a little lake we can go down to, and we went down a road that was, I mean, it got less exciting, less maintained, let's put it that way, and thinner, and then you find that there's mobiles and trailers and small houses, and it leads you down to the lake, but the people along the way, here we are, it's like uh, the hills have eyes kind of crap. Things were just weird. The people that we encountered were definitely unique and different, and I, I don't know how to describe it. I, there was just this overwhelming feeling of like we definitely cannot stay here. Just trying to find a place to turn around was tough enough. Um, but I can remember him and I feeling very urgent, like we just need to get out of here. Felt like wrong turn kind of situation. Just get out. And then as we're leaving out of there, we're back on the road, but we realized that we didn't get to go back the way that we came in. So there was only like one option. So how did that happen? And it felt like we were traveling forever to try to find this free camp spot. And then we hit a um, a rest area off the side of the road. And finally, I, I tell my husband, I was like, finally, something seems like familiar, you know, like this actually seems like a rest stop. It's not some weird place. There's not a bunch of people. It's not populated with interesting things or weird signs or, you know, warning signs. Someone will shoot you. Like, no trespassing. We finally get to an actual, like, what seems like a great rest stop. Beautiful view, or so I thought. So we get out of the car, and my daughter, I have three daughters. My oldest, she travels into the bathroom, which I can say, like, was, like, the shape of a hexagon or an octagon. It was, like, a yurt or something. Only a toilet, and it wasn't one you could flush. There was no sink. There was no windows. And it was very, I mean, it was okay for the maintenance, I, I suppose. It's kind of icky. Anyway, she goes in there to go to the bathroom. There's this large rock wall that extends out, and I'm just kind of peering out, looking at all the beautiful forests and everything. It's almost like a Bob Roth painting in a way. My husband, he has to also go to the bathroom, so he goes and travels down further on a path, figures, let the girls use the restroom, and 
him and um, our dog go down to for him to find out kind of more about the area and to relieve himself. So as he's down there, he's experiencing what he thinks is um, just him and, and the dog down there. And he's, he finished going to the bathroom and he's looking at kind of a post of, of things explaining what's going on in the area. And then he feels this presence behind him. And he goes to turn around and say he's sorry and realizes that this person's like translucent and doesn't really look like a person like wearing a, like a clear suit is what he explained to me. And this is my husband, Justin. He called in a couple months ago to explain his side of the story. Anyway, I'm still up at the rock not realizing that Justin's experiencing this and I'm realizing that everything that I'm looking at looks like a green screen. I felt like if I could have just had like a slingshot, I could have taken like Bart Simpson style and totally, you know, flung something out there and hit what's supposed to look like it's so far away. It looked like huge just screens up in front of me, at least three of them. And one was, I mean, you really had to look to find the seam. And I was trying to show my husband Justin when he came back up the path, but he looked like he'd seen a ghost. He was just absolutely just like sweating and looked scared and looked like like he'd seen a ghost and me I'm sitting here just like wanting to tell him like oh my god look out here it's not even real like all this that I thought looked so wonderful and he's not really paying attention to me because he'd already gone through his own thing and as he's trying to explain to me that he's scared we need to leave he, what he's trying to tell me what he saw the dog had already ran off way ahead of him I mean he he's like I, I saw someone that wasn't even there and he was just freaking out and then as he's trying to convey this to me and be like where's our oldest daughter Ashley where's she at you know and I'm like she's in the bathroom and as I'm saying that to him she'd already been in there I mean we really weren't there that long four or five minutes and um, then she starts screaming she says she saw somebody in the bathroom there's no windows I've been standing at one of the at the side where there's the entrance to this bathroom I mean I'm not leaving my kids up there my other two are asleep in the car it's very hot and she's just screaming mom there's someone that was in here I don't know where they went and but the door was shut I was there the whole time there's no windows this thing is like it's a the bathroom is just a toilet and it's like a dug hole they have to have come People have to come and maintain it. There's no flusher. There's not even a sink inside. I don't know how she saw someone, but she made it sound like after we'd all kind of talked later on, um, you know, kind of like what Justin said, somebody just kind of appeared and then kind of disappeared. And I just, I didn't see anyone. But when I went into the bathroom and it's huge and echoey, I went in there to check on her and the situation that was going on. And I felt like there was someone there. That's when it felt all Harry Potter and, and, you know, just like someone's there breathing. You can hear them, but you cannot see them. And how do I tell my child who, that, you know, everything's fine, honey. There's nobody in here but you and I, because I felt that would have been a complete lie. And then Justin was screaming, let's go, let's go. He wanted out of there. The car was already started. He had got the dog. We barely jumped in and shut the door. I mean, I didn't even have a chance to get my safety belt on. And I'm yelling at him, what is the freaking hole? I'm like, hurry. I mean, he hadn't fully explained to me everything down there. And what I had heard, I didn't feel, you know, was like alarming yet. But, I mean, we got all in that car and started sharing what we were experiencing. And the moment he said that about the guy in the suit, 
I just said, yeah, like, but I said, it gets so, like, they are really invisible. I mean, you, you can't see anything, but I was like, I could feel somebody else's presence. I could hear someone else breathing. And like I said, we had to leave so much. I, to this day, wish I, that we had gone back. I so desperately want to go back and have answers, just the green screen thing alone. I mean, the seams, I could see the seams. I was trying to point it out to him, but he didn't really want to look because he was worried about what he had just experienced. And then my daughter experiencing something else. I mean, there were people there that you couldn't see. That's just, you can't, there's people there. There's a presence. I mean, we couldn't ignore it. I mean, and it just, I felt like I was in this trance. I was so wanting to like figure out more about this place like I was ready to explore more my daughter and my husband were like no freaking way and like I said we were gone we had such a weird experience at trying to find anything for camping it's like the 4th of July weekend and we excited, uh, extended our stay because the girls were you know on summer break and we were just excited to maybe you know we never they'd never been to Idaho and thought this is gonna be awesome but we ended up being so freaked out of Idaho that we literally drove out of Idaho into Montana, which I had never been before, just to sleep at a rest stop because we were so scared and didn't want to stay anywhere in Idaho and have never returned since. It, it was just crazy. I, I don't know how to explain it any better than I felt like maybe we went to like some type of weird government place or something that we weren't supposed to do the whole way home and this is hours and hours and hours I mean we hit eastern Washington and I still Spokane area and I still didn't feel fully safe again I felt like we learned too much we stumbled upon something that we shouldn't have it was just everything was out of weird movies I can name five or six movies and it feels like if you put them all together it's like that's what we were living and I still you know I still think about the faces that were in that lodge on the people that were just staring at me like I was a, I stuck out like a sore thumb I mean even the bartender who was he seemed very young I wondered if he was even old enough to serve alcohol he had had a young son and like I said I, I was sitting there so long and he kept asking me so many personal questions and I told my husband I said I felt so stupid that I shared so much with him because you know, it felt like it was all a part of the same kind of thing, like something we weren't supposed to do. And the fact that we were scared to go back that way and never encountered going back that way. How? How did we go one way in and there being only one way out and coming out something completely different? It just, it, it felt very Twilight Zone. I don't know. There's so much more. I just, it sounds crazy. But, I mean, I guess. <laughs> most of the people that call in probably feel like people see them that way but I really enjoy your guys' show we love it and thank you so much for all your great stories that you guys do and thanks for listening to ours alright have a good day thank you Jen it's downright amazing to hear the other side of this story and it seems like your experiences are more numerous than what your husband Justin experienced Now, for those of you that didn't listen to the previous episode, I highly suggest you go back and do so. Not only do you hear the other side of this story, but you also hear my take on what it may be. And it does include some military action. So thank you again, Jen, for that very interesting and downright terrifying tale. And that's going to do it for this weird episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support was provided by Addie Lloyd and Warren Pon Abbott. Music for this episode was provided by Mayu and 
Coag Music. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To start the ignition. To feel confident. To be connected to everything. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes a dynamic experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.